Welcome to CBS Sustain podcast. This episode is about the company Christian Hansen, which is a global differentiated bioscience company that develops natural ingredient solutions for the food, nutritional, pharmaceutical and agricultural industries. We will get to know Christian Hansen's work towards the sustainable development goals and in particular towards SDG 2, better farming to achieve zero hunger and SDG 3, good health and well-being. In the podcast, you will hear Susanna Kugelberg, a CBS researcher on organizational capacity for the green transition, talk with Torsten Steinholt, who's the executive vice president of global operations at Christian Hansen. The topics explored in this episode start from us hearing about Christian Hansen's core product, bacteria, to a discussion where Torsten and Susanna talk about Christian Hansen's innovation approach, their organizational culture and capacity, how they co-create some cool products for achieving a more sustainable food system, but also some challenges in today's food system and how negative externalities can be avoided. Hey, Torsten, great to have you on Sustain. Could you please introduce yourself and maybe tell us a bit what you do at Christian Hansen? My name is Torsten Steinholt. I work for a biotech company called Christian Hansen, where I have been for, for 10 years. And I am responsible for what is called our global operation. So that is all of our manufacturing, which is the manufacturing plants that we have globally. It is logistic, it is purchasing, and all of the technical disciplines in our, in our companies. I've been graduated from the University of Copenhagen in pharmaceutical sciences and um, in London in, in degree in chemistry as well. Great. And and what is it that uh, Christian Hansen does? The core product of Christian Hansen is many, but in simple terms, we basically produce good bacteria. So there's a lot of bacteria in this world. In, in, in a matter of fact, there's more bacteria than there is uh, sand in, in this world, grains of sand. There is also more bacteria in the human body than there is actually human cell. And what we master is producing good bacteria for a number of different purposes or applications in the world. And a couple of examples um, that I can show you is, for instance, we produce bacterial cultures so that we're able to produce cheese in a dairy and convert milk that will only stay as fresh milk and last for a few days. Well, you can convert it into cheese that can last in our fridge for many months or yogurt that will last at least for maybe a week or two. So we basically produce a lot of things that supports Uh, food system, support health, uh, immune system, and agricultural uh, in a a sustainable manner. Yeah, so you produce essentially bacteria. Yes. Why is your bacterial solution better and more sustainable than your competitors? Well, one one of them is that we produce what we believe is the best bacterial solution in the world for a number of these purposes. We love our bacteria for a lot of reasons. One of them is If you take something like agricultural purposes, we have got something that is called crop protection by bacteria, where certain bacteria will protect a plant when it's growing. So if farmers, for instance, in Brazil, they use our bacteria on sugarcane, when they grew sugarcane to to produce sugar for global food industry, they can either use a chemical pesticide to protect the plant against attack from insects and others. They could also use a bacterial solution. Well, we would want the world to use bacterial solution because they're natural. Because the bacteria that we produce will protect the growing plant so that insects do not want to sit on it and eat it. And when the plant is strong enough to grow, well, then the bacteria just naturally dissolve and disappear in in, in the soil. Um, Whereas a pesticide will, of course, be taken up by the entire value chain and end up in the food system via birds, via fish, and eventually they will end up also in humans. 
where they are toxic. Well, that's fantastic. So, I mean, so the bacteria really, really relates to a sustainable food system. Yes. And could you just also repeat, like, in which ways? You mentioned already, like, how it could reduce pesticides and so on. So it's basically food production. Was it also, is it also diet? I mean, is it also good for human health? It's also good for human health. And good examples is that, for instance, we can also minimize food waste. So we can use bacteria in different kinds of products so that they will be less wasted. An example, for instance, can be in a yogurt. We can, of course, help a dairy produce a great tasting yogurt. But in addition to it, we also got some special bacteria that the dairy can add into a yogurt, which means it will now have a longer shelf life. So in your fridge at home, Susanna, you might have a yogurt, and if you leave it open for six, seven days and you look in it, Well, it might have grown molds on the top and you will not eat it. Now you're going to throw it in your bin and you're going to buy another one. If you use our bacteria and the dairy will add it, that food will now last for longer in your fridge, in the cold chain, both in the supermarket, but more importantly with you. So it will not grow moldy, which is chances are then that you will finish the entire pot and therefore not throw it out and buy another one. So overall, in a lot of, lot of food systems, we can do the same in salmon, we can do it in freshly prepared salads and a lot of food applications. So we can basically keep the food um, tasting nicer and not going old. Um, and therefore we minimize food waste. At the same time, we also minimize the risk of food spoiling bacteria that potentially can be harmful for our health. So there's many different ways where we can actually help all the food producers of this world minimize waste, produce more safe food. Yeah, so it's safe and it's healthy and then we reduce food food waste, as you said. And we, you have mentioned it, so it could be applied to, to yogurt. And yes. then, we, then we're talking about dairy products. Um, but going more to a sustainable food system, we also look at the changes of like what we eat. So we're going more towards plant-based. Do you also encourage some broader shifts in consumption from dairy towards more plant-based options like yogurt cheese and maybe some alternative protein to meat? Absolutely. So in, in a lot of food system, and now I mentioned dairy, well, we are pretty large in dairy as an example. I was in uh, in US in around uh, early May and I visited a large supermarket in US that is called Whole Food. Well, Whole Food is very, very large in a lot of plant-based food as an example. So they have a whole section, for instance, when you go to the dairy section, well, a whole several meters of shelf space is dedicated to yogurt and cheese that you and I would know. But the yogurt, as an example, would then be produced not from milk, but from other solutions. So that could be almonds, it can be oat, it can be a number of things, coconut. Well, there you'd like to be able to produce a yogurt that tastes similar to the one where, raw, where milk is the raw material, but now you have another source like oat. Of course, these producers would need to take that oat milk that we can also drink and convert it into something that has texture and has taste similar to the product we know. And in these kind of systems, of course, they would also use companies like Christian Hansen to say, hey guys, can you please help us? We got this product here that we'd like to produce. We would like to do it from oat milk and we'd like to taste it as similar as possible to a dairy product. And then we work with them in our application labs to come up with these solutions. Mm-hmm. So you can say, in that respect, we also support sustainable development in our food systems by helping all kinds of food producers when they want to change raw materials. There is also companies that are working, of course, in alternative protein sources. So if we were not to get the proteins that we human need for, for growth, we need for amino acids, for a lot of healthy issues. People cannot live without uh, protein. 
but we would like to go for more sustainable sources as an example. Well, it is possible also via fermentation, the process that we masters when we produce bacteria. You can also get bacteria to produce protein. And therefore, a lot of companies now are working on, a lot of it is still kind of on R&D, research and development stage, but gradually it will be industrialized and it will be on sale. And I've got no doubt that one day you will be able to produce protein from a vegetarian source that has been fermented and will taste similar to meat. It will not be the same. And there is already companies that you know in, in the US that they are pretty significant already, where you can go and buy a burger and you and I, I tell you, you would not recognize that this was not from meat, but is actually a fermented product. And it tastes like 99% similar to the normal meat burger that we know. Mm. Yeah, and that is very interesting because, of course, you can you can develop a product and you know it's it's better for like sustainability. But then in the end, it has to be accepted by the consumers. And as you said, then it, then it's more a question of the taste and and texture. And and also when it comes to plant based yogurt, there is a bit of a of yeah. a challenge. There, there is a challenge. I think a lot of consumers would be expecting it to taste at least similar. It needs to taste good. I think they can accept that it's slightly different, but it cannot taste bad. And that is a barrier, of course, that the industry needs to overcome in all of these different food systems. I have, I have a daughter who's, who's 20. She is not vegetarian, but she just tries to avoid meat from an environmental point of view. So she picks things that are better for environment. Uh, she likes yogurt. She prefers if it could be produced from not milk, but alternative sources. She drinks oatmeal and so on. So, and honestly, I think a lot of younger people, they would have that, that view. They would not be kind of religious about it, but they would want food producers to come with, with, give me the most tasty solution that you can do whilst demonstrating that you are still sustainable in the way you produce it. And, and that is the challenge. And I know the good news is there is a huge movement that is going in that direction for a number of good reasons. And the industry knows that once there is people that has that need and demand, there will also be solutions created. So I think here is, is time is working for us. A lot of it is still in R&D. Some of it is out there in the supermarket shelf. And, and, and some of it is already yeah, exactly industrialized to quite some scale. So it will happen in most food systems. Mm, yeah, well, it's interesting because you know entering these new markets, it's of course a question about you know the, the end product, products and how it tastes. But it's also sometimes they choose the products because of health reasons. So they also need to see like what's in the product. Is it some sometimes a bit? Is could that also be a barrier when they see like the ingredients are, you know, so many additives? if they don't know what yes. those additives are. No, we, again, here now might generalize a bit, but a lot of the younger generation, they definitely don't want nasty stuff on their labels. They want clean products. And that is a little bit sometimes the challenge of the kind of new natural food that has a good environmental footprint, that it might not taste the same. And therefore, some of the producers, they will say, hey, to order to taste better, now I will add a little bit of sugar and I will put a bit more salt and I need to put some flavors in and maybe a bit of texturizer, which could be chemical. So that is a little bit the challenge right now because it is not completely matured that they might need to compromise on something. If you both want good texture, good taste, environmental and sustainable kind of upbringing of the product, well, you need to make a compromise somewhere in that food system. But I think over time, younger generations will not tolerate that and we need to improve it as a, as a food industry. Do you also engage in some kind of communication or education activities about the role of 
sectarian permutation in well, Greece? We, we are quite heavily engaged in everywhere where Christian Hansen is, is located. In, for instance, we participate in a lot of congresses. We are quite heavily engaged with academia, universities, fairs and so on, where we try to kind of, of course, of course, preach the role that we have in the world and how we every single day touch about one billion consumers that indirectly will touch a product where we have been part of putting that product out there. And that number is really impressive. It one, is a, one, one billion. billion. One billion people every single day. They wouldn't know that there is some Christian Hansen behind it, but there is. And that also indirectly tells us about the size of this company. So you're operating in how many co- uh, countries now? Well, we have manufacturing plant in about six, seven countries, 15 manufacturing plants, but we basically sell globally. And we have offices in, I think it's 56 different countries where we have sales offices and affiliates. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, any customer in any country can can let us know that they would like to buy a product for, from us mm-hmm. and, and we will get there. And also, I mean, you're, you're a very big company and you're also mature. I mean, uh, Christian Hansen was founded in 18, 1874. 1874. Um, so you, you are uh, such a big company. Is it? How do you see, you know, in relations to inno- innovation, to find new markets, new technologies, and so on? Is could that be a challenge, or is it? You know, I, I honestly think it's an it's an opportunity for us. I think we look at everything. I mean, we basically hold about 50,000 different bacteria in our bank of bacteria. And a lot of them are char- characterized, which means we know exactly what role they play. So we see that as an opportunity to impact in a positive manner and in a very meaningful manner a lot of aspects in this world where we can support immunity. We have products, uh, as an example, where we can be added into infant formula. So that is like milk powder replacing a human mother's milk, where we can help producers make better nutritional systems. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of, of products where we can actually support um, healthier food, as an example, support immunity uh, and, and resistance, um, and we can support healthier animals, as an example. We can support the upbringing of more sustainable systems with, uh, with plants. So we try constantly to look at ways where bacteria can support um, and make a positive impact of the future. Mm-hmm. And and our we have a big portion of our employees are working in R&D. And a lot of them are actually working on improving things. Mm-hmm. So as an example, in, in, in a cheese system, we have come up with ways where the dairy can produce, with 1,000 liters of milk, they can now produce more cheese, which basically means they need to produce less to feed more people. So that is also an example of being efficient in the chain by actually improving the products of someone else that we are selling to. Yeah, and that's also very relevant in in view of upcoming population growth. We're we're maybe nearing 10 billion people in 2050. So of course, food security is a big issue. And, but I'm also thinking, I mean, you come up with solutions how you can apply bacteria mm-hmm. to new new products. There's also, isn't it sometimes hard because of regulatory measures yes. and also the difference of regulatory standards in, in different countries? It can be, can be very difficult. And that's, that's where actually the world has some challenges because different countries, of course, have national regulations. EU has typically EU regulations. America is another place. And 
One example is, for instance, when we want to apply some of our bacteria as alternatives to chemical pesticides for crop protection, well, we need to apply, for instance, in EU. And unfortunately, in EU, it can typically take us five years from we apply till it gets approved. So that means for five years, European consumers will have to live with chemical pesticides being used on the vegetables that we eat because it takes EU five years to approve a biological. And as an example, in Brazil, Brazil used a chemical pesticide called carbofurane, very toxic, but it was approved in the past. They probably did that because there was no alternative that was better. Well, the moment that there was biological um, products available, they very fast tracked this. So we got an approval for our product fast into sugarcane in Brazil, because now there was an alternative. Well, I think that was an example where Brazil said, we are replacing something that is safe um, with the biological systems. So we will take a risk that we have not necessarily gone through five years of crops and year one, year two, year three, year four, because what we take off the market is very, very toxic and, chemi- and, and the chemical pesticides, and we replace it with a biological one. And I think sometimes some countries and EU is thorough, but on the other hand, also slow in making these approvals. So yes, we depend a lot on different national and uh, geographical um, approvals on a lot of our products. That also goes for food. This was an example from biological uh, crop protection. I'm also thinking since you're such a big company with so with such a big market share when it comes to bacteria. So how do you internally work to make your production and supply chain more sustainable? Complementary innovation. Um, Optimization or... Well, we obviously try in, you can say, in technology, as in manufacturing, as an example, we try all the time to decarbonize our footprint. So anything we can do to have a more positive footprint on, on the planet, on, on, for instance, our manufacturing footprint. So as, as one example, all of our Danish, we have five sites in Denmark, three manufacturing sites and also the large head office and so on. We obviously produce a lot of electricity. There's light in this room. There's a television screen in front of us. We need electricity. But all of our five sites in Denmark are supplied 100% electricity from renewable uh, energy. And this is not buying certificates. So we have a two solar sites, solar sites in Denmark where everything they are producing is for Christian Hansen. So one is in a place near Slales and one near Anders. And those two locations, one that you can see from the motorway, is supplying our sites for all the electricity. And we are gradually working on creating the same globally and we want to be there by 2025. The same goes for bio-waste. When we produce uh, bacteria, we have a liquid that is the leftover once we have produced our bacteria. That liquid is going to, in Denmark as an example, to so-called bio-waste, but we use it for biogas. So instead of it being wasted, in the past we used it for fertilizers on the field, which is not too bad, but now an even better way, a more uh, recyclable way, is that we use it for biogas. So it's simply converted 20 kilometers from here into biogas that then heats up uh, a number of houses, several thousand houses as well. So every time we have a waste in our food chain, um, we would like to convert that into a valuable product somewhere else. We might not be able to do it internally, then we can get someone else to do it. Same goes for our packaging material. We like to recycle them all. So we have a, we kind of have a pledge on or a commitment to work on all of these dimensions, including the so-called scope one, scope two, and scope three, where we are working on our internal footprint, how to minimize it. And the same goes for our suppliers. 
So we are setting up quite strict uh, criteria to all the suppliers to us that we expect them to also lower their uh, carbon footprint over time. Otherwise, the, if they do not do that, we will deselect them and pick someone else in the market. So I think the good thing about the whole environmental thing is that both with the commitment to uh, climate actions and the different kinds of commitments that you can do, the 1.5 degrees, the 2.0 degrees and, and other things, well, the whole industry, and that goes from most industries in this world, if they don't want to go this direction, they will have to be forced to because companies will be selected and deselected now and in the future based on their sustainable footprint and their commitment to improvements. Mm, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, so the, what the core, I mean, the core product is really contributing to a sustainable food system. And then you yes. have other, yes. you know, ways of reducing your own footprint, yes. as you yes. say. So, I mean, I can imagine you have a, a big department only working on those sustainability aspects. We, we have a department, yes. So we have a department centrally that works on it. But a lot of it, of course, is also out in the in the operations. So like in my world, I have engineers and technical people that are working on solutions. How can we lower the carbon footprint in, in our world? We have people that are doing other aspects. We have people in sourcing the product, the, the people and colleagues of mine that basically makes contract with suppliers. So they will negotiate and they will get information from suppliers who is the most sustainable. And that will be part of our evaluation criteria when we pick suppliers. So sustainability is not something that you have to force in an organization. You actually just have to kind of design it in so it becomes a natural thing in all areas. And the good thing about sustainability is for the younger generation. So when I hire people who are in their 20s today, it is one of the first questions they ask us is, how sustainable is this company? And then the good thing about working for a company that actually has a very strong purpose around this is they typically know. They typically know Christian Hansen of and, and how our sustainable purpose is there and what it means. So this is not this is on kind of several dimensions and several layers that we're working with sustainability. It is of course the obvious one around environmental. It is also certainly also on social and, and on governance. So on social, for instance, that could be uh, a lot about diversity, inclusion, equity, the kind of work environment that we create in, in the workplace, sustainable leadership, what does that mean? Well, it means we have respect for people, we have trust in the, in, in the 4,000 colleagues that we have globally. And on governance, it also means that I don't just think about my company here in Christian Hansen and the 4,000 colleagues and how we operate. We think about local communities, our obligations there. We think about we engage in governments in politics, the way we think they should be influenced, for instance, to support the kind of industries we have because they are promoting a greener world. So we, we basically engage quite broadly on both environmental, social and, and governments aspect as a company. Mm, mm, interesting. And I mean, just coming a bit, I mean, what ty- type of talents do you attract to Christian Hansen today? Is it the typical scientists that are interested in, in chemistry or yeah, yeah. is it more someone who wants to go out and, and, and do a nice handprint. No, we, the good thing is we need a lot of different kind of people and talents into Christian Hansen. We have, we have people here who are technical operators. They run a manufacturing plant for eight hours a day, Monday to Friday, and then they go home. We have people who are PhDs from university with eight, nine years behind them, just from university, are deeply, deeply into the science of microbiology, or biotech or engineering fields. So they're really experts in, into that field. We also have business people from business schools that, because 
we also a company that has many purposes and one of our purposes is to create money that we can reinvest into R&D and other purposes, marketing and so on. So we need a variety of people, we need finance people, uh, we need a variety of people. That, I think that is one of the beauties that a company that flourishes and develops like ours. I mean, there's not one piece of talent that we need. We basically need tons of it and we need very different talents. I need people working for me that are in this manufacturing plant that are 60 years old because they have such a big experience from everything they've seen and done. But I also need young talent from universities who are like 24 years old and come in who will challenge us that are older in the way we see the world and say, hey, Thorsten, the way you see it there, I actually think you need to come from a different angle at your perspective there and challenge us. So um, we, we like the diversity and diversity is many things. It is how you think, it is your experience, it is your educational background, it is your social background. Uh, and it is gender, it is many different things. And, and, and we like to have a diverse workplace in, in the real true meaning of that word. Well, Torsten, I think that was a very nice ending remark. And I thank you so much for this interview. Very nice talking to you. Thank you, Susanna. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. In this episode, you have listened to Torsten Steinholt and Susanna Kugelberg discuss how Christian Hansen's innovative solution for a sustainable food system actually links back to Christian Hansen's key activities and key resources. In addition, innovations have essentially been driven organically from within the company. That is how they design products based on needs as opposed to an explicit marketable wish to create demand. Susanna Kugelberg had the pleasure of visiting Christian Hansen where the interview was recorded. My name is Marianne Kellman and I've been the host of this podcast episode.